Lisa Sharon Harper, president of Freedom Road, a consulting group dedicated to shrinking the narrative gap. Welcome to the Freedom Road podcast. Each month, we speak with national faith leaders, advocates, and activists to have the kinds of conversations we normally have on the front lines. It's just that this time, we've got microphones in our faces and you are listening in. So this month, we are joined by Dr. Mitri Rahab, founder and president of Dar al-Kalima University in Bethlehem. The most widely published Palestinian theologian to date, Dr. Rahab is the author and editor of 50 books, including Decolonizing Palestine, The Land, the People, the Bible, In the Eye of the Storm, Middle Eastern Christians in an Age of Empire, and one that I came across while writing The Very Good Gospel, Faith in the Face of Empire, the Bible Through Palestinian Eyes, among many, many, many other books. So I invited Dr. Rahab to speak with us from Bethlehem today because the world has watched the death toll of Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank multiply. We have watched as the government of Israel has committed acts that three separate Palestinian human rights orgs and the United Nations have all called genocide an incitement to commit genocide. The world is praying for the return of the Israeli hostages taken by Hamas. We are praying for a ceasefire, and we are praying for the full freedom and flourishing of the Palestinian people to come. In that context, the Christian church stands poised to enter the season of Advent, a time when Christians remember the birth story of the brown colonized Palestinian Jew from the West Bank named Jesus. Dr. Mitri Rahab is with us today to bring a word from Bethlehem. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So tweet or insta me or thread, <laughs> you know how I'm trying to wean myself off of that Twitter space, but thread or insta me at Lisa S. Harper or to Freedom Road at Freedom Road Us, and keep sharing the podcast with your friends and networks and letting us know what you think. So Dr. Rahab, can we dive in? Sure. Okay, great. First of all, let me just say thank you so much for making the time to be with us. We know that your time is precious and uh, and we don't want to take away any more time than, than we have to for this conversation, but we are grateful. The first thing we always do is we always start with our faith stories. Um, I want my audience to understand who they're talking to, to know, you know, how did you come to faith and, and, and what is the faith that you stand on? So can you tell us a little bit about how you came to faith and what faith that is? Yeah, uh, thank you, Lisa, for having me. Um, yeah, you know, when, when people hear that uh, there are Christians in Palestine, often uh, they ask us, you know, tell us, uh, when did you convert to Christianity? Uh, assuming maybe that we used to be heathens or Muslims who were converted to Christianity. And I always like to tell them, uh, you know, remember Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Palestine, not in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Uh, and... Uh, oh my gosh. Wait, can I just say, I really relate to that because I'm sitting, you know, a few miles from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. <laughs> that's, that's fabulous. Thank you for that. That's fabulous. Yeah. And, and uh, remember also the Bible uh, did not originate in the Bible belt. 
Hello. Okay, he's that, throwing uh, down. Uh, thanks God. Up throwing down. Thanks God, right? <laughs> yes. Amen. Uh, so the Bible originated also in Palestine, which means for the last uh, two thousand years, there has been a Christian presence in Palestine. And so uh, the Palestinian Christians today, uh, their roots goes back to the first Christian church that again was established in Jerusalem and no other place. Um, with time, so my family has been Greek Orthodox mm. uh, and this is why my name Mitri actually, he's a Greek Orthodox saint. Okay. Uh, however, my great uh my grandfather, uh, who became an orphan, uh, lost his parents through an epidemic in the 19th century, uh, was taken to a Lutheran orphanage. Uh, and there uh, he said, you know, Lutherans took uh, good care of me. Uh, and so he joined the Lutheran church. Wow. And so I was born in a Lutheran family. Uh, however, as, as a young man, in the youth work, uh, I came to uh, recognize uh, how important uh, this faith uh, to me personally, which led me actually to study theology, uh, which I did in Germany. Uh, and then I served as senior pastor at Christmas Lutheran Church uh, here in Bethlehem for 30 years. Uh, uh, and uh, I stepped down to focus uh, uh, fully uh, on the first and only university in all of Palestine uh, with the focus on arts and culture. Uh, wow. So this is in a nutshell uh, my, my story. Mm -hmm. So can I ask you, jumping forward, your family, your family has been in Palestine then, since the times of Jesus, is that right? Yes, yes. And mm -hmm. so your family, which has had Christian faith, has that long history. That means that your family was present at the time of the Nakba, the, the catastrophe. Um, how, how did your family's story intersect with the Nakba? Yeah, actually, uh, uh, several uh, members of our family uh, used to live in West Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, West Jerusalem at that time, this was the thrivant uh, new city of Jerusalem that actually many Christians from Bethlehem uh, felt Bethlehem is becoming small and now all the businesses are in Jerusalem. And so they went to West Jerusalem and they built their really mansions, uh, beautiful buildings, uh, uh, built with with uh, uh, limestone. Uh, I mean, uh, they were really state-of-the-art building at that time. We are talking about beginning of the 20th century. Uh, mm -hmm. And then they were displaced in 1948. So this happened to my mother-in-law and her family. Uh, mm -hmm. And this happened also to... Uh, the uh, uncle of my father and his family who then mm -hmm. fled and came to Bethlehem and then they lived uh, with us. So, yeah, I mean, the Nakba uh, uh, also uh, had 
a, a huge impact on the Christian community mm-hmm. uh, because uh, 50%, uh, 50,000 Christians were displaced in that year. Uh, wow. West Jerusalem uh, lost uh, 95% of the Christian community. Uh, wait, wait, okay, wait. So before you go forward, I'm realizing not everybody who's listening is going to know what the Nakba is. And it would be helpful to have the context of the year, um, what led up to it. I mean, we can start with the Balfour Declaration and go to the mandate and then the Nakba. But just if you could just give a cursory um, overview of this history and then locate your family inside of it, that would be helpful. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, it's all started really uh, uh, this whole mess that we find ourselves in. Uh, in 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 Great Britain, mm-hmm. uh, it was uh, actually Christian Zionism uh, that um, that had uh, an impact on uh, British politicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, to uh, promise uh, the European Jews a home, a land in Palestine. Mm-hmm. And in 1917, Lord Bal- Balfour actually had the so-called Balfour Declaration. He wrote mm-hmm. a letter uh, to uh, Lord uh, Rothschild, a Jewish lord in, in the UK, uh, promising him uh, that uh, Her Majesty as government uh, look with favor to establish a homeland for the European Jews in Palestine. Now, uh, so I always like to say it wasn't the Lord God that promised Israel Palestine. Mm. It was the Lord Balfour. Uh, And so this was actually a deal of the empire. for the Jewish people. Now remember, Balfour did not do this because he loved the Jews. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he was afraid that the poor Russian Jews who were suffering under pogroms in Russia mm-hmm. will flood the UK uh, uh, and they come as refugees. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to divert them, their migration, Instead of coming to the UK, he sent them to Palestine and said, you know, you belong there, which means you don't belong to Europe, though they were European, actually. Yeah. Uh, And uh, this is not your choice. This is God's will. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, this this is the imperial uh, work uh, that we see here. And so, so, yeah. I'm sorry, sir. I just I'm reading right now um, the Hundred Years War by Rashid Khalidi, uh-huh. and I mean, I was it was highly recommended to me, and I am so happy that I'm reading it. Um, in addition to the work that you've already, that you have done, but this is an incredible history, and I'm not all the way through it yet. But I was reading it really in order to school myself for our conversation, and as I you know do more work online with this. But one of the things that that strikes me about about this period 
um, that he brings out is that from the from the beginning, there actually were um, Arab Palestinians, there were Jewish people, exactly. there were Christians on this land, um, exactly. and that 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 the European Jews came in with the Nakba, but there were already Sephardic Jews and others who were already there. Is that right? Yeah. So, right. And so, they, they had been living well with everybody for a long time. Correct. Uh, so if we look at 19th century Palestine, mm -hmm. uh, it was a very diverse society mm -hmm. uh, with Christian Muslims and Jews. Uh, Christians at that time made around 11% of the population. Uh, but uh, we had also Palestinian Jews. So it wasn't a contradiction to think of Jews as Palestinians like we do today. Mm. Uh, and um, this, uh, this, uh, this uh, pluralistic society is something that is really uh, uh, well-known for Palestine. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, what the British uh, brought with them uh, was uh, this sectarian uh, thinking. So today, tourists, when they visit Jerusalem, they are told by, uh, by guides that Jerusalem has four quarters, a Christian, a Muslim, a Jewish, and Armenian. Nonsense. This is a British invention. Uh, because each of these uh, quarters had multiple religions living and uh, coexisting with each other. But the British came with this sectarian mentality that they looked at, 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 at uh, Palestine with this sectarian lens. And right. to show you how, how, how sick this sectarian mentality is, 1947... Right towards the end of the, uh, of the British Mandate of Palestine, mm -hmm. there was one hospital in Jerusalem for lepers. You know the story of lepers in the Bible? Yeah. So, so we had lepers in Palestine uh, until uh, 1970 almost. Wow. And so you had this hospital with lepers, and they were Christian Jews and Muslims lepers together. I mean, they were all lepers, sick. Right. And the British came in and said, you know, it's not good for lepers of different religions to be together. So they took the Jewish lepers, they took them to West Jerusalem, and they took the Arab lepers and they sent them to Silwan, to East Jerusalem. Uh, I mean, so, so oh this is how sick this imperial mentality is and we are still actually, you know, we are still until today suffering under this uh, sectarian mentality. This is why mm -hmm. if you listen now often to news uh, uh, about Gaza, mm -hmm. you might have the feeling that this is a religious war between Jews and Muslims, which right. is not. But again, this is the sectarian uh, mentality that cannot see pluralism, and diversity as something that is positive. Wow. Okay. So so when your family was going through between 1917 and 1946, um, when the Nakba began, 
I know, again, from my reading in, in this amazing book, um, that there were a series of laws that were instituted as part of the mandate that that gave what they called personal and religious rights, and quote, gave these rights that are actually inherent to every human being, but personal and religious rights to Palestinians, but civil and political rights to Jewish people who would, and also a preference for Jewish immigration, which is how the population um, became, it, it flipped from being majority Palestinian to being majority Jewish. So can you, what was your family? Do you know your family's experience of that time? Have that, has, have those stories been passed down? Uh, yes. I mean, so you are right. Uh, so um, until 1917, uh, the Jewish population were less than 5%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Palestinian Arabs were 95%. Mm-hmm. When when Balfour did uh, his declaration, mm-hmm. and then the Russian uh, uh, poor Jews started coming to Palestine. So mm-hmm. this was uh, the first, if you want, the first migration movement for European East European Jews. Mm-hmm. But then, 1933, remember, uh, Hitler came to power in Germany. Right. And started uh, uh, oppressing uh, the Jews in Germany and beyond. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the German Jews were, uh, you know, very well educated, uh, open-minded uh, group of people. Uh, but with Hitler, uh, um, they had to flee Germany. And this mm-hmm. was the second uh, big uh, migration of Jews to Palestine. Still, wow. still, until 1948, Jews were not the majority. Wow. Yeah, they became the majority after two other migrations. One is when Israel actually... Uh, um, pressured the Arab Jews from Morocco and other countries, Iraq, you know. In Iraq was a huge Jewish community, in Morocco the same. And so mm-hmm. they uh, they had to come to Palestine. Uh, and then the, the fourth migration is with, uh, with Russians who came uh, like uh, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, most of mm-hmm. them actually out of economic uh, 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 pressures rather than uh, religious. Uh, many mm-hmm. of them are actually not Jewish, but they pretended to be Jewish uh, to be able to ac- to be accepted in in Israel because you could see if 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 your grand grand grandma is somehow Jewish, then you can because uh, Israel wanted always to make sure that uh, they have the majority. Uh, 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 in, in Palestine. But now, now, right now, if we look at historic Palestine, mm-hmm. there are around 6.5 million Jewish people and 6.5 million uh, Arab Palestinian people. So even now, we have two groups, same size, but the one group has all the, all the might and power and the others uh, have not. And again, this goes back to Balfour, as you said, who promised mm-hmm. Israel to have national rights, while the Palestinians uh, uh, only like uh, 
civil rights, but even now civil rights we don't have. These are our stories. You're listening to the Freedom Road podcast, where we bring you stories from the front lines of the struggle for justice. So, Dr. Rahab, as a Christian, as a Palestinian, and as a biblical scholar, I wonder, what do you think of Zionism? I mean, uh, Zionism uh, actually, uh, by the United Nations, was described as uh, one uh, of the... uh, uh, one of the brands of racism mm. uh, because uh, it uh, it sees uh, it looks as uh, at at, uh, at the Jewish people as being uh, supremacists I mean you have this kind of like the white supremacy you have this kind of Jewish supremacy mm-hmm. over and against the indigenous people of Palestine I mean, as Palestinians, as I said before, uh, Jews were always part of Palestine. And uh, mm-hmm. we, we never had a problem with that because they endured the same situation like us. So mm-hmm. they, they suffered under uh, Ottoman rule like us. They, uh, you know, they, they suffered under uh, British rule like us. Mm-hmm. The problem became when... Uh, when they uh, uh, they wanted to have a, a state that is, if possible, pure Jewish, and mm-hmm. in order to do that, they needed to displace the Palestinian. Mm-hmm. This is what we call settler colonialism. Mm-hmm. It's actually what what was done in North America to the native people. Yes, it is. What was done in South Africa to the black people. It was yes. done to the aboriginal people in Australia. This is mm-hmm. exactly what Israel is doing right now in Gaza, actually. Right now, mm-hmm. as we right speak, now. this is what is happening. And unfortunately, in the American media, you don't get this story. Uh, uh, but but this is what is happening. And, and imagine, We're getting it in our social media. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all, over, it's all over my social feed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if, if people are aware and they know mm-hmm. where to look for it, it is out there. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, the mainline uh, U.S. media, unfortunately, is so one-sided. Uh, and, and so they don't really understand this. So, so, mm-hmm. so Zionism, actually, and you can see it now uh, with Gaza. I mean, if you... If you uh, if you listen to the minister, Israeli Minister of Agriculture mm-hmm. saying, you know, now we will do a second Nakba to you. Yeah, uh, if, you know, if you saw the, the, uh, the current Israeli Minister of Heritage, mm-hmm. uh, he said uh, the, the solution to Gaza is to drop uh, an atomic bomb on Gaza, uh, like, uh, like Hiroshima. I heard that. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you have uh, uh, you have uh, the minister of defense saying 
these are not peoples in Gaza. These are human animals. And so you can see all of this racist language. Unfortunately, I see it also in, in American news often. Uh, the, I mean, uh, uh, they use words like barbarians, etc. And remember, this is exactly one element of settler colonialism who used to describe the indigenous people everywhere as savage, as backwards, savage, as backwards, as... As animals. As animals. And and so we hear right now in the 21st century, mm-hmm. we hear this language. And, you know, I, I as, as pastor, uh, I have been... Uh, uh, working uh, against uh, hate, uh, uh, you know, hate um, uh, language and um, mm-hmm. hate crime. Mm-hmm. And I see now uh, Israeli ministers, I mean, people in power, these are not like some, you know, crazy, very right-wing racist people saying something. These are the yeah. people in power. They are, you know, very well educated using this hate language uh, mm-hmm. in the 21st century. And I don't see any of the organizations who work against hate crime raising their voice just because they are Jewish. This is unbearable, I tell you. Mm. So when you go to the scripture, like, and I, I know you do, <laughs> but when you go to the scripture, how do you address the theology behind Zionism in the scripture? Right. That's a good question. In fact, (laughs) uh, fact, uh, Netanyahu, Mm -hmm. when he declared uh, on October 27th Mm -hmm. that they are going to go into Gaza. That's right. uh, In the press conference, Mm -hmm. uh, he was asked, uh, by one of the reporters uh, about, uh, I mean, uh, a question. Uh, and his answer was uh, very interesting because he said, in our Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, mm-hmm. uh, we, we hear uh, that uh, God is saying, you should not forget what Amalek did to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a quote from First uh, Samuel, chapter fifteen, mm-hmm. and in that uh, in that verse, actually, God is uh, ordering uh, uh, Saul, Saul, mm-hmm. to uh, to kill Amalek, and not to let anyone live, old woman, child, mm-hmm. ox horse, etc. And this is exactly what Israel is doing today. So Mm. in the Bible, and this is what I always like to say to my students, you know, the Bible is like uh, the bazaar in the old city of Jerusalem, which means you can find in the Bible uh, whatever you want. Mm. So if you would like to support settler colonialism, go to the book of Joshua. Mm. The book of Joshua actually is the blueprint for settler colonialism 
and genocide. Wow. This is the book of Joshua. Uh, remember, you know, uh, 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 there were people uh, in the 19th century uh, seeing in, 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 for example, in, in the book of Genesis, chapter mm-hmm. 9, mm-hmm. something against black people and against Palestinians. Mm. Uh, so, so if if you if you want that, you can find it in the Bible. Mm-hmm. What you find in the Bible says more about you than about the Bible. Oh, that's so good. Wait, can I can I can I share? Because I want to I want to I wish that I had another theologian in here with you to talk. And maybe we'll do this. We'll do a part two, and I'll bring in Bishop Zach. Are you familiar with Bishop David Zach Naringye? Oh my goodness. Y'all need to be in conversation. So I recently did an Instagram live with him and we were talking about this passage, especially this Amalek passage. And he is, he's from, uh, from Kenya. Or no, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me, Bishop Zach. Zach. Um, He's from Uganda. And so um, from Uganda, a, literally an actual bishop there who has been excommunicated because he went against um, the genocide that was happening there and, and all of the, um, the, the corruption. And so now he's based out of Fuller Seminary in LA. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So he says, and I wonder what you would, what you would say to this. He says that the Bible is not a text. It's a script. It's a script. Sure. It is not meant to be read as these are the black letters of the law, as in um, whatever is in it is good, but rather this is an account of a relationship between God and a people written by those people according to their understanding of their relationship with God. So this passage on Amalek, we can look at that passage and say that is true. It is true that Samuel um, believed that God said this to him. Right. But to say that God actually said this to him would actually be to say that Samuel is God, would be to say that the text itself is God. Right. And it's not. Right. It's a script, he says. What right. do you think of that? No, I agree fully, actually. You know, I always mm-hmm. say, and that's as Christians, we don't believe that the Bible like came down from heaven like that. Right. What came from heaven actually is a person. That's something totally different. This is why we believe in Jesus, not in the text, because the text was written by people and God speaks to people always according to their context. Because, oh my God! Because yes. God is a contextual theologian, if you want. Wow! You know, so uh, so uh, you know, one of my students one as uh, once asked me. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean this 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 text of Joshua calling for a genocide. Right. Don't you think we should take out of the Bible? Okay. Uh, you know. Uh, I said, we can do that, easy to do. However, if we take it out now, it means we, uh, we, we think there will not be people coming sometimes to do this in the name of God. You know, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. call different groups, do so many things in the name of God. Mm-hmm. What Israel now is doing in Gaza in the name of God is awful. I mean, you know, for mm-hmm. Netanyahu now to quote Saul and uh, uh, this text is just shows that, you know, God always and often is uh, being weaponized mm-hmm. in context uh, of power. And mm-hmm. so we have to acknowledge that. So not everyone who says God, God, really, we need to take serious. Mm. Uh, this is why sometimes in my language, I, I tend to be more like to sound a bit more secular because, you know, I, I, we are living here in a context mm-hmm. where we have too much religion People are getting suffocated from religion. And God himself is telling us, give me a break. I cannot handle that much religion. (laughs) Wow. Oh, my gosh. You literally just blew my mind. But, you know, I mean, this is what it is. And speaking from saying that from Bethlehem is a big deal. Wow. Yeah, yeah, because you know, because I think I think that is that's a very important uh, part of 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 our uh, Christian understanding of Scripture. So, so at the end of the day, the question we have to ask ourselves is Scripture uh, 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 is the Bible a text? for colonization, or is it a text for liberation? Oh, that's good. Actually, actually it's both. It depends on you. So Hmm. if you are a colonizer, you think the Bible is a book that supports colonization. Hmm. If you are for liberation, you know, then you understand actually the Bible is the... The focus of the whole scripture is about liberation. Now, the problem is in Europe and because of the empire, Mm -hmm. because they didn't want to have anything political, liberation became salvation of the soul. Oh, interesting. Well, wait, 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 wait. I think we just need to sit on that for a minute. The empire in Europe did not want faith to be political, which I think we need to unpack that for a minute. Why? Because having a, a, a faith that has political implications would actually put the empire itself at risk. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Right? right. So instead, what they do is they defang it. They defang the text and make it hyper spiritual. Everything has only a spiritual um interpretation as opposed to any kind of connotation that would land in real time, in real place, and have implications for the way that we live together in the world. Exactly, exactly. And so uh, and so everything was spiritualized, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, so so African American, uh, uh, the, the most important thing became that, you know, their soul will be saved, also Native American. Mm-hmm. But you take their land, you know. Yeah, this is what, yeah. yeah. 
And then, you know, this is what, what uh, one uh, friend, uh, you know, in South Africa, a pastor told me, you know, uh, when we, before the, the, the British, uh, you know, and, and the Dutch came, uh, the blacks in South Africa had the land, right. you know, and then the missionaries came and told the Africans, you know, let us pray. And they prayed together, you know. So yeah. the black had the Bible and the missionary, uh, the black had the land, the missionaries had the Bible. And then they prayed together. And once they opened their eyes, the black had the Bible and the British and Dutch had the land. You know what yep. I mean? Oh, yes, I do. Oh, and, and this is exactly what also happened in Palestine. What is happening? Because we have all of these crazy Christian Zionists uh, who believe, you know, that uh, uh, God gave the Israelis the land, our land. I mean, I wouldn't mind if they believe that God gave Texas. Hello. And, you know, now you're and, messing, now you're messing, because you know a lot of them are actually based in Texas. <laughs> I know, this is why I'm using yeah, Texas. You know? Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. So I don't mind if, uh, you know, but, but this is what it is. So we have to be very, uh, really very careful and very critical. And for me, uh, uh, Christianity taught me to be critical and especially to be critical of religion. And uh, imagine, mm -hmm. if you read the New Testament, the most critical verses in the Gospels were said against the religious establishment. Yeah, that's right. That's, right. that's where Jesus calls them a den of vipers. Yeah. White, yeah. Whitewashed tombs. I mean, you just, he basically cusses them out. <laughs> right, right. Because, yeah, because there is too much religion uh, and with uh, and a religion that does not take the human uh, dimension into uh, account. And for us, uh, what happened in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago was that the divine became human, mm. which means now every human life is divine. Every human life deserves to have life and life in abundance. There is no person that doesn't deserve that because the divine himself decided to become human. That is the ultimate thing that you can be human. And so this is why I like to look at, you know, Jews as humans, Muslim as humans. You know, at our university, 75% uh, of our students are Muslims. Mm -hmm. And for me, they are humans exactly like me. Uh, wow. This sectarian mentality that like to put people in castes, irrespective if these castes are religion or whatever, is very sickening. And the, the world is really um, suffering under, under these, uh, these closed identities. Mm -hmm. So, sir, can I ask you... One last question in this segment, which is how do we decolonize our faith? How did you de start to decolonize your faith? Uh, I think you have to read my book, Decolonizing Palestine, uh, the land, the people, the Bible. 
Uh, but for me, it was it was. We'll a put a link. We'll put a link to it in our in the notes for sure. Yeah, uh, it was a journey mm-hmm. uh, because uh, I grew up uh, evangelical, uh, uh, um, and went to study to Germany, mm. uh, where uh, I I learned uh, critical methods, uh, but again the German way. Uh, which is uh, uh, afterwards I discovered it's very problematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had to learn how to read the Bible through Palestinian eyes, which is another yeah. book that I have written that you alluded to. Mm-hmm. Because unfortunately, uh, most of the theologians in the global south often were trained in the global north and thought that is real theology. Ah, yes. We that have, is orthodoxy. Exactly. And, you know, the funny thing is Germans uh, believed that what they are doing is theology, the real thing. Right. And people in subtropical areas, Latin America and Africa and so on, are doing contextual theology, which is not the real thing, you know. Again, you can see the racist, uh, uh, the racist ideology, even in theology. The supremacy. Exactly. Thanks God, Mm -hmm. I was able to, to free myself from this, uh, from this empire theology, Mm. and to go back to our wells, Mm -hmm. and back to the original well is very important to me. Mm. And so I had to struggle with the Bible in a new way, uh, which led me to a fascinating discovery uh, about how to read the Bible through Palestinian eyes. Walking Freedom Road from coast to coast and around the globe, this is the Freedom Road Podcast. So, Dr. Rahab, I want to, I have so many, I have so many questions and I've actually been kind of skipping around my notes because our conversation has really been in full flow mode (laughs) and it's been fabulous because of that. But I I want to um, come back to this question of decolonizing our faith. And and you, um, in our last segment, kind of landed on decolonizing our read of the text. Can you share with us? You know, how do we begin to decolonize how we see the scripture itself? Yeah. You know, uh, first of all, uh, I always knew that uh, the Bible somehow uh, uh, is a book that came out of our region. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, uh, it was really uh, the Bible did not originate in the Bible bed. I That's always right. knew that theoretically, mm-hmm. but uh, but really it, it dawned at me, believe it or not, after uh, my uh, maybe third visit to Japan. Wow. I, I, I was there for two weeks. Uh-huh. 
finished my tour. I was on a speaking tour, finished my tour, uh, boarded the plane in Tokyo uh-huh. and uh, crashed on my seat. And I was dying for two things. I was dying to have a piece of bread and to have a piece of meat. Because, you know, in in Japan, most of the people eat fish, which I love fish, but, you know, like two weeks fish without meat (laughs) was just too much for me. I'm a vegetarian, so I I get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, they don't have bread, real bread. Mm. At that moment, it dawned to me, that, you know, Jesus was really a Palestinian Jew because we cannot survive without bread. If Jesus would have lived in Japan, he would have said, not I am the bread of the world, but I am the rice of the world. Right. Because rice is exactly what stands for bread in Palestine. But that's... And so I started, you know... Though this is something like you think it's not so important, but it it triggered for me, you know what, why do we need to read, uh, you know, Brueggemann to understand the Bible? Mm. And in in Mm. my book, actually, on on, uh, uh, my latest book, Decolonizing Palestine, I have tough time with Brueggemann. saying how can somebody like Brueggemann, who is really liberal, uh, outstanding theologian, write a book about land in the United States without talking about the original sin that was done to the Native American. Wow. That is the blind spot, you know. Mm -hmm. So so we really Mm -hmm. need, why do we need to to read Bultmann. And, I mean, I, I like reading all of them. But at the end of the day, we have to be genuine to ourselves, mm-hmm. and we have to develop the courage to read the Bible, you know, through our own lens. What, what I love, you know, in the story, and this is, by the way, mm-hmm. this is something important in Christianity. If if you read the story of Pentecost, mm-hmm. when the Holy Spirit came on the disciples, mm-hmm. and then what happened? You know, Americans, they are obsessed with uh, speaking in tongues, and so they think that's the most important thing. The miracle was not speaking in tongues, but it was a hearing miracle because they started hearing each one the language, their own language. Yeah. Which means God wants to talk to us in the language in which we dream. Wow. Because he wants to get to us. And so we need to develop that. that. And I think African-American did a great job when they were developing the Gospels Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, the, 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 that music as, as something that has to do with their identity, but also resilience and resistance uh, and something that is speaking to, to the way they think and they live. Uh, and it became part and parcel of them. This is what every 
that all of us need to do. You know, it's interesting that you bring up the black church because one of the things that I that I've come to I don't know if it's understand, but um, in my bones I get this that there was a symmetry, there was a alignment that was sensed by the by the founders of the black church in America, the, the African-American church, which was begun as a protest movement, literally, like literally the very first black denominations were formed in protest of segregation at the altar. Like they, black folk could not pray at the altar of St. George's um, United Methodist, not United, but Methodist church right here in Philadelphia, literally like, less than a mile from where I'm sitting right now. And so Absalom Jones and Richard Allen and James Fortin led a huge walkout of that church. And they did that because they understood that they were also made in the image of God. And when I, when I read, um, when I was studying Genesis 1, that's kind of for me where the aha moment came because I realized that the writers of this text in Genesis 1 were likely the priests who were exiting the Babylonian exile. They were on their way out, right? And as they are, as they're leaving, they're literally making commentary on the worldview of their oppressors. Exactly. Um, which had Enuma Elish, the story of their that creation story, had yes. the deep, had the monsters, the sea monsters, all the things. But in this brown, colonized people group, when they told their story, they said, but we are not going to be slaves to the gods. Humans are not slaves to the gods. Humans are actually made by God in God's image. And that was like this revolutionary thing at this time. And it it struck me for the very first time, and this is when I was writing The Very Good Gospel, Mm. that from the very first page of the whole Bible, the Bible is written by, in the context of, colonization exactly it's written in the by brown colonized people or people who are you know imminently at risk of colonization in the context of solomon or david right so so you can't have you can't you can't read the text from the from the social location of empire exactly you understand every author of that text was writing from the social location of colonization Exactly, exactly, exactly. And, you know, the whole, the entire Bible was written under occupation. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, we had in Palestine the Assyrians Empire, the Assyrian Empire. Then we had the Babylonians. Wow. Then we had the Persians. Then we had the Greek. Right. Then we had the Romans. So Jesus was born under Roman occupation. And it continued because we had then the Byzantines, which is the the Christian Roman Empire, basically. And then we had the Arabs. We had, uh, you know, the Crusaders. Uh, I will skip a few. Maybe they are not very well known. Then we had the Ottomans. And Uh then we had uh, the British and now the Israeli. And this is important. Why? Yes. Yes. Because the Palestinians of today... Actually, they stand in continuity with the Israelites of the Bible being the occupied of the land, while the Israeli of today are the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the empire who came here to subjugate the native people. And so 
This is why uh, Christian Zionists get all the story, you know, wrong because they don't they don't look they don't look at and they don't do power analysis. We cannot read the Bible without power analysis because it depends. Everything depends on where you stand. Mm-hmm. Are you part of the empire, or are you part of those? are oppressed and this is why the whole Bible actually is nothing but texts of resistance literature yeah. literature of resistance as you said it starts with Genesis 1 and it goes all the way to the revelation because remember John was uh, uh, at Patmos that's right and, and uh, he was uh, uh, having the heat of the empire and, and his text was a text, you know, of resistance against uh, the empire. And this is how we, how we, uh, how we, uh, how we uh, need to read these texts. So some people are looking at the events in Israel and Palestine right now, and they're preaching that these events tell us that we're in the end times. And they're looking at Revelation to say that, right? So what meaning do you draw from the events? since October 7th? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, these people who always like to think, they are uh, anxious for Armageddon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, every few years, every decade, uh, they come up with, uh, now we are living in the end time, etc. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, this is uh, being instrumentalized by some preachers uh, for fundraising purposes and so on. So it's... it's uh, it's a dirty job, uh, to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the question is, why are these people so obsessed with wars? Mm. Wow. Ooh. Because they are really anxious for Armageddon. And these yeah. people are actually uh, uh, anti-Semitic. Why? Yeah. Because they want to bring all the Jews to Palestine. Mm-hmm. And then two-thirds of the Jews will uh, be killed in the war. And the last third will convert to Christianity. So basically they are calling for the annihilation of the Jewish people. Wow. So they instrumentalize the Jewish people for their meta-narrative. The meta-narrative is basically, you know, the second coming of Christ. And right. for that, I mean, human life doesn't matter. This is not the gospel I came to know through Jesus Christ, you know. Wow. Yeah. And and unfortunately, then they look at the Palestinians as being, you know, like Netanyahu, the Amalekite, or they are the Philistines, or they are the Canaanites that God is uh, calling uh, to kill. Uh, and so they are part of this imperial uh, theology and politics. Mm-hmm. You know, Christian Zionism... Uh, uh, or let me put it this way, Israel right now in Gaza Mm -hmm. cannot do what they are doing if they are not receiving all the hardware from the empire. That's right. That's right. Because they are not an empire. Wait, can I just say this very quickly? This is actually important. Um, I had this thought. It's like one of these little um, connections that are made in your mind. And I had this thought last night that Israel like biblical Israel 
wanted to be like the empires that had subjugated them. They wanted to have a king. They wanted to have the temple. And God said, don't do it. Because when you do that, you're going to have to enslave your people to make temples. And you don't need a king. You got me. I'm supposed to be your king, right? But they went ahead. They did it. God allowed them to do it. And it all came to pass, right? They had they enslaved the right. people. They, they exploited all of the things. But there's always a desire to be empire. Right. They never were. And now they flex, or at least right now, Netanyahu right. is flexing as if he is empire. But they are still not empire. No, they are aligned no. with empire. Right. They and this is why you know uh, the empire continued to provide Israel with the hardware. These are the F thirty five and the uh, you know the uh, fighter jets and you know yeah. the the thirteen point four or fourteen point three billion dollar etc etc. Right. That's the hardware. Right. But Christian Zionists provide Israel with the software. Ooh. And the software is more dangerous than the hardware. The software is equating the biblical Israel with the state of Israel today. That's wow. the software, you know. Wow. Uh, the software is thinking, yeah, you know, uh, Israel is doing God's job now in Gaza. Uh, this is the software, and we are, as Palestinians, we are killed by the hardware, and we are killed by the software. And so uh, this is why decolonizing uh, theology and decolonizing empire is very, very important. So what is the darkness of empire? If you were to name, what is the darkness of empire as you experience it in Palestine today? The darkness of empire is that uh, it has this uh, supremacy against uh, all other people. Mm -hmm. uh, you name them. Mm -hmm. uh, native, black, uh, brown, Palestinian, etc. Mm -hmm. And secondly, because of that, their lives doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when, uh, with George Floyd, uh, when the slogans became so important, black lives matter. Mm -hmm. Why is this so important? Because for the empire, black lives doesn't matter. Don't matter. That's right. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but, but for God, black lives matter. Wow. And, and so, so, but this is not the imperial thinking because the imperial, the empire is based on suppressing all other groups. That is, that is what in the Bible we call Pax Romana. Right. You know, the peace that comes with the empire. It's not the peace. It's like exactly what Netanyahu now is doing. He wants right. to have peace by exterminating the Palestinian people, displacing them. And you know what? These young people in Gaza who have seen their mothers and fathers being killed in airstrike, their homes, their, their, their safety net was destroyed. Yeah. You know, what will happen with them? You know, uh, you know this Hamas fighter who did uh, this uh, attack on, on October 7th, 
they were born during one of the earlier wars, and they saw exactly mm-hmm. what Israel was doing, and mm-hmm. they wanted to revenge. Mm-hmm. But this this generation that now experienced this, God helps them because helps, it's, yeah. it's beyond any understanding. So, but this is the peace of the empire. It's okay. We go there, we kill them. You know, we, we, we wipe them out, as, as one of the ministers said. Go and wipe them out. That's settler colonialism, you know. Wipe yes. them out, you know. Yeah. This will never bring peace. And this is actually the problem. Netanyahu actually, you know, the, the, the problem in this war was not Hamas. Though, I mean, I, I'm against the killing of civilians, etc. But Netanyahu didn't want to have peace. So he wanted to have all the land to build more settlements, to keep Gaza as an open-air prison, and to mm-hmm. think, you know, with power and might, he will prevail. Now, actually, his last, uh, uh, his last years in life, he is a desperate person because all his calculation proved to be totally false. And, you know, I mean, you know, the poor uh, Jewish people who, uh, soldiers now, I mean, these are high-tech young people who have their businesses, and now they have to to go and fight in the allies of Gaza, and mm. in 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 refugee camps. Mm-hmm. I mean, but this is the wow. this is the this is the empire, and this is why we need to resist this imperial thinking and say, you know, without justice, there is no peace, because mm-hmm. the peace of Christ is built on justice. And what the Bible says is that peace will be the fruit of justice. So without justice for the Palestinians, there will be no peace for Israel. The conversations leaders have on the road to justice. This is the Freedom Road podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The Freedom Road podcast is recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and wherever our guests lay their head that night. This episode was engineered, edited, and produced by Corey Nathan of Scan Media, and Freedom Road podcast is executive produced by Freedom Road, LLC. We consult, coach, train, and design experiences that bring common understanding, common commitment, and lead to common action. You can find out more about our work at our website, freedomroad.us. Stay in the know by signing up for updates, and we promise we won't flood your inbox. We invite you to listen again and join the conversation on Freedom Road. But if you are in Patreon, if you're one of our patrons on Patreon, or if you are a subscriber on Substack, you get a special treat. We are going to have a special quick conversation um, backstage with Dr. Mitri Rehab.